On Sunday mornings, we've been going through Luke's gospel verse by verse. Last week, we finished up the 14th chapter and would have us in chapter 15 this morning. However, uh, we want to encourage you to read ahead in Luke chapter 15. In fact, there's actually some really great things that we're going to see in the weeks ahead about the heart of God there for the lost, as well as for those who have wandered away and that God's desiring to draw back. However, this morning, if I can ask you to turn your attention with me to Isaiah chapter 43, if you have your Bibles to go with me to Isaiah 43. And if you do need a Bible, there are some guys coming up the aisle. You can hold your hand up. That way you have a copy of God's Word to follow along with us as we study the Scripture this morning. Next Sunday, we'll pick back up there in Luke 15, right where we left off and keep moving forward. But as I was actually preparing this week for the study in Luke 15, I just kept wrestling and feeling like the Holy Spirit was uh, drawing my heart uh, to something, and particularly the things that are in front of this text here this morning. So um, I'm, I'm trusting uh, in the Lord that maybe this is just a, a word uh, that God has for us to speak to some of our hearts, some things in relation to kind of where we're at. You know, a number of months ago, in fact, it was when we were still living up in York and pastoring the church there in York, uh, we had a, a Saturday morning, I arranged a Saturday morning men's prayer meeting down here, uh, like around 8 a.m., and I didn't want to leave the the prior night and not be there with Trish and the kids because Friday night is kind of our, our family time. So uh, we actually decided what I would do is get up real early in the morning and leave. So I got up real early in the morning, I guess like around you know five or so I left to start heading down here so I could be here for the meeting. And it was dark, obviously five o'clock and a little bit damp and as where we lived at was a little more rural. And as I was coming down this back road there, uh, uh, my own fault, I failed to take into consideration and navigate a very sharp, severe curve, <laughs> which was coming up around the corner. And because I failed to recognize and respond to this very sharp curve, uh, instead, I kept just driving forward faster than what I should have. And I kind of did this Dukes of Hazard launch uh, off of the road. Thankfully, there wasn't a guardrail there. And I kind of just launched out and it was, it was probably about as high as this pulpit from where the road was down into this farmer's field. And then I ended up getting stuck out there in the mud and, um, you know, spinning out in his field, stuck out there at five o'clock in the morning, who's awake, you know, out there. And I'm just, uh, I, I certainly plowed up his field for him. I did that. You know, I, he, he was ready to sow seed when I was done. <laughs> uh, but I ended up getting stuck out in that field for, for quite some time, really for one primary reason, because I was not paying attention to the fact that it was time to turn the corner and that the direction was supposed to change, and I just kept plowing forward faster than I should have, and because I failed to navigate and turn the corner, uh, I ended up getting stuck for a while and damaged my vehicle a little bit for the simple reason that, that I didn't turn the corner. And I think sometimes God has occasions in our life where it's just kind of time to, to turn the corner. Uh, and the Lord has that intended for us. You know, as we even this weekend, this is Labor Day weekend, and this is kind of one of those, right, it's one of those turn-the-corner kind of things. Summer's ending, we're kind of turning the corner, starting sort of that new season, school year, and, and those kind of things. And I think that's a little of maybe what the Lord has in store that he wants to share with our hearts this morning. So Isaiah 43, if I can draw your attention to the 16th verse, we're going to look at verse 16 down through verse 19 and see what the Lord would speak to our hearts. And if you're turned there with me, would you stand out of respect for the word of God as we do as I'll read our text for Bible study. Isaiah 43, beginning in verse 16. Tells us, Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, and a path through the mighty waters, 
who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together, they shall not rise. They are extinguished, they are quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And Father, we humble our hearts before you as we open your word, acknowledging again by faith that that is what it is. God breathed and given to us by your spirit and alive and powerful. And we pray that you just bless your word as it goes forth this morning, that it might speak into our hearts and lives the things that you would have us to hear from your heart to ours. Give us an ear to hear what your spirit would say to this part of your church this morning and from this portion of your scripture. Bless your word and teach us now through your spirit's ministry. We ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, though our Lord is revealed in the Bible as the Ancient of Days and a God who Malachi says changes not, though He is a God who changes not, it seems that when it comes to our relationship with Him that there seems to be in the heart of God a desire to preserve a sense of newness on occasion in that relationship that we have with Him. To foster a sort of fresh vitality and to keep the relationship new and fresh and vibrant with the Lord. In fact, we find this showing up many times in the Bible. For example, in the Psalms, God tells us to worship Him by singing unto Him a new song. We find in the Scriptures as well, in Ezekiel, where God tells the people to turn from their sin and to get themselves, He says, a, a new heart. As we look in Lamentations chapter 3, we read there that despite our struggles, that God's mercies are new Every morning, every morning there's a new batch of God's mercies to greet us for that new day. Colossians and Ephesians both tell us that we are to put on the new man each and every day. And Jesus himself even declared to us that new wine, he said, must. He didn't say it shouldn't. He said it must be put into new wineskins to accommodate that new wine. In the scriptures, we see that God, who is most certainly perfect... And therefore, he never changes in all his ways. God's nature will never change. God's word will never change. The ways of God and the will of God will never change. So constancy is an aspect of our relationship with God spiritually and should be something that we always honor. We can veer way too far, as we always can in extremes with all things. Some people get overcaught up and always looking for something new and novel all the time. And that ends up being their downfall, that they're always looking looking for some new and exciting thing. We can go to an extreme in all things, but by the same token, we also need to realize that though God's word, God's will, God's ways, and the ways in which he operates and does things, there's a constancy to that and, and a continuation that God never intends to be deviated from. However, though the Lord himself does not ever change personally, it seems at times that he desires to bring change into our lives periodically. It's just a part of what God does. It's a part of his ways. The Bible tells us that there's a time and a season for every purpose under heaven. In the same way that seasons change, our lives are kind of a reflection of that. And God brings life, it seems, in seasons. The important thing is, is not to try and remain in the old season when God's starting a new season. 
Okay, it'd be kind of foolish for me to try and keep on my swim trunks as we make our way into fall and then into winter. It just wouldn't be wise. I need to just respond and accept the new season. The same way, when winter's ending, you don't keep wearing your wool coat as you go into spring and you go into summer. And God desires on occasion to bring, as the all-wise God, new occasions and, and new things. To, he says, behold, I do a new thing. And sometimes God just sort of stirs up the pot in our lives a little bit. or end one season and start another. God has a way at times of starting new projects and beginning things anew all over again. And for all of us, let's just be very honest, change runs contrary to our nature. We don't particularly embrace change very easily. We tend to find comfort and security in what's consistent, in what's routine. That's just our natural, uh, you know, sort of, it's who we are as creatures of habit. We, we like the same things. We feel adjusted. We get comfortable with routine. And we many times find our peace of mind in the little life systems that we establish and set up in our lives. And we find tremendous security and comfort by living in those little established systems that we get used to. The downside, of course, to that is oftentimes because of that tendency in our humanity, we can many a times get ourselves and our lives into ruts where we wear away at the same path over and over in such a way that it literally becomes a rut. And it's often been said before, the only difference between a well-worn rut and a grave for the dead is about six foot. It's the only difference. And many a times, ruts can become very deadly and they can destroy life. They can have a tendency, which started out as a good path, to be something that becomes really a grave of progress and a, a grave for life and vibrancy to continue to keep flowing in in our lives. And many a times, we usually aren't even aware that we're in a rut. We're not even aware of it. The reason why is because, guess what? We're so familiar with the rut it doesn't seem like anything's wrong. We're just so familiar with blazing the exact same path that, that it's almost difficult for us to many times recognize when we're in that spot. And this is the reason, I think one of the reasons anyway, at times God will bring change into our lives. God will, in a sense, like, you know, he will, he will add something that wasn't there before or he'll, he'll bring a, a change in course or he'll allow through the events and circumstances that happen, whether good or bad, to maybe allow something to end and something new to begin in our lives. And it's just sort of the way on occasion that God works in our lives. He'll start new things. Uh, again, by way of illustration, stationary water. Stationary water, it's calm, it's serene. There's not waves to deal with. But stationary water is a lot more prone to become stagnant a lot more quickly. Now, moving water, you do have to deal with the waves However, moving water also tends to be an environment where life is bred more easily and where life is sustained. So here in our text this morning, we have another one of these Bible passages. I read some at the beginning of the message where God, again, we see in Isaiah 43, directly declares the words, I will do a, this time he says, I will do a new thing. That God will do a new thing. And I think from this passage we can learn how God at times intends on new things for all of our lives, even as he did for the Jews in this day when Isaiah was prophesying. Now remember, Isaiah, just by way of quick background, was one of the pre-exile prophets, which means that he was God's spokesman prior to the time when Israel went into captivity. And Isaiah was used by the Lord to speak and to challenge the people 
repeatedly warning them of their rebellion against God and their sin, telling them that if they persisted on that path, God was going to chasten and discipline them, and that ultimately they were going to get pushed out of their land, and they were going to struggle under God's discipline because they deviated from God's plan and God's intentions. But Isaiah also, after speaking to them the word of God's upcoming correction, he also was reassuring them of God's mercy and his grace when they humbled themselves to restore them back to that land eventually that God might continue to work in their lives. So specifically, as we come to Isaiah chapter 43, at this point, Isaiah is speaking of things historically 200 years prior to when they would ever happen. And God is speaking through Isaiah the prophet, God who dwells in the future, and therefore nothing's in essence future to God. God, That's why God can speak prophetically of things that are going to happen before they ever do, as if they're already taking place, because God already dwells in the future. And through Isaiah now, he begins to speak of an event, how not only would they go into Babylon, which wasn't even a world power yet at this time, and be there for 70 years under God's discipline and captivity pushed out of the land, but how ultimately after that 70 years of God's discipline that God was going to do a new thing and restore them and bring them back to their land and lead them back to where they once were before originally and how Judah ultimately would be led by God to do that. So these passages we're looking at particularly this morning are a reference really to that restoration of God taking his people after a difficult time of struggling under the Lord's discipline for some of their errors, how God in his grace was going to restore them and bring them back to what they once were experiencing before in their lives. Again, God knowing what was going to happen gives a prophetic promise here predicting a new exodus that was going to happen for Israel as God would bring them out of the land of Babylon and send them back to their land. It was a new work that God was going to do in their lives personally. And God was speaking about it in advance so that they would be ready to respond to it when the time came and they would realize, hey, this is of the Lord. Let us therefore embrace it and move forward with it. And I think in this, we find insights regarding how the Lord still works in our lives as well. Look with me again back in the 16th verse where it begins by simply saying, thus says the Lord who, notice, makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters. So what we're going to see God do here is God basically speaks to them about what he has performed in the past before he ever starts to talk to them about what he has planned for their future. Now he's going to tell them down in verse 18 and 19 that he has a plan intended for their future. But before he talks about what he has planned for them, he first starts to talk to them about what he has performed in their lives once before. And what God is doing is trying to first and foremost draw their attention upon himself and his person and his power. And notice in verse 16, we see that God is validating to them, listen, the one who is speaking these things to you, because I know they may sound a little almost like, what is the Lord saying here? He says, I want to validate to you, listen, this isn't the word of Isaiah. He says, thus says the Lord. And, and he's wanting to validate that it is the Lord himself who are declaring these things to his people. Again, that word Lord there should be in your Bible, the capital L-O-R-D. You see sometimes in the Bible the word Lord and it's capital L and then small O-R-D. And then other occasions in the Old Testament you find this, capital L-O-R-D, which indicates to us that that is that Hebrew tetragrammaton, 
where it's basically the, the YHVH, whereby we assume that the name of God is either Jehovah or Yahweh. We can't be certain. No vowels, just the, the consonants, the YHVH, the name by which God revealed himself. And on many occasions, God reveals himself in the scripture, even using his name in a compound form, telling us more of who he really is. For example, in Genesis chapter 22, God calls himself there Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord, our provider. We find as well in Exodus 15, Jehovah Rapha, which is the Lord, our healer. We find in Judges chapter 6, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. Exodus 17, we find Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our protector or the Lord, our refuge. The idea of these compound names of God when we find them in the scripture, the Lord, our peace, the Lord, our protector, the Lord, you know, the Lord, our shepherd. When we find these in the Old Testament is that God is seeking to indicate that he is an all-sufficient God. In other words, he is the all-becoming one. He becomes whatever we need. Do you need peace? Then God will become peace for you. Do you need protection? Then God will become your protection. Do you need provision? God will become your provision. That if you have God, you have everything. That's why Jesus, in essence, would tell us on occasion, look, with God, all things are possible. If your life's with God. If your life's not with God, you're going to be struggling a lot. Because you're going to be trying to make things happen on your own, and that's difficult. But the all-sufficient God can become whatever we need in our lives. And he doesn't want the people of Israel in the state to be focusing on their upcoming circumstances or their present challenges. But he wants their attention to be foremost, first of all, on who he is as Jehovah God, the all-becoming one. And for our lives as well. The Lord does not want our circumstances ever or our upcoming challenges to be the thing that our focus is on. The Lord's intention is that our focus would be on Him. That, that our, our visual would be of the Lord in front of us and that with that as our vantage point, the greatness of God as our vantage point, then everything else would then be in our peripheral vision. You know, when you're looking straight ahead, you have the clearest picture and things look the largest and the things over here to my side are in my peripheral vision. A lot of times we're looking at the circumstances, the problems, and we're struggling and getting stressed out and we're angry. And, and, and the problem is, it's just our focus is wrong. Because God's over here in our peripheral vision and we're staring at this still. And we just can't get over focusing on that. Or, or, or it seems so terrifying. But when our focus is on the greatness of God, guess what? I can't see quite as well what's over here now. It kind of diminishes in its size and its importance because my focus is on the greatness of God. So God begins here before he does anything else by drawing their focus and attention to him as Jehovah God. Isaiah 45, 22, the Lord says, look to me and be saved. And I don't know what you're facing this morning, but perhaps Jehovah God, the Lord, is saying to you, whatever it is, look to me. It tells us in the book of Micah chapter 7, therefore I will look to the Lord and I will wait for the God of my salvation. And how does God reveal himself? Notice in verse 16. He reveals himself by referring to one of the acts of his awesome power that the people of God knew. In verse 16, he tells us that he is the Lord, notice, who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters. What's God reminding them of? God's reminding them of a powerful demonstration of his hand at work in their lives in times past that they had personally experienced and they all knew firsthand. Exodus chapter 
14, the story that God's referring to here, is that time when God miraculously parted the Red Sea for the nation of Israel and his chosen people. And God reminds them of what he had performed in the past. He says, hey, I'm the Lord. The Lord, remember? I'm the Lord who makes a way in the sea and who makes a path in the mighty waters. And you remember the story, Exodus chapter 14. It's one of the greatest and probably most famous miracles we know of in the Bible where the Egyptians you know, finally are, are allowing Israel to leave their land after hundreds of years of bondage and oppression. And God raises up Moses and he begins to set them free from that past bondage. And as he's leading them out of Egypt, all of a sudden as they're on their way, they come to the Red Sea and now the Egyptians have changed their mind and in anger they're pursuing them and they now come to the Red Sea. So they have a sea in front of them, they have mountains on either side of them, and they have Pharaoh and the Egyptian army breathing threats down their neck, ready to capture them and to put them to death or drag them back into the land. So they're in a little bit of a predicament, would you agree? They have a sea in front of them, mountains on both sides of them, and a threatening enemy breathing down the back of their neck, and there they are, and Israel was boxed in, they were naturally afraid, and they felt very overwhelmed, as we would as well. And what happens? Right away, what do the people do? They start to turn to Moses and they say, because there were no graves in Egypt, you brought us out here. We knew we should have never listened to you. We should have just stood there in bondage and just had a slow, progressive death right there. It just, we just, it just would have been better to do that. Here we took your advice and followed you out here and you know, now we're all going to be put to death. And, and, this is gonna, and they start complaining and God speaks to Moses and he says, Moses, tell the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. And he says, tell the children of Israel to go forward. And it says that God tells them to tell them to go forward before he says, and, and, and here's how it's going to work out, Moses. And then remember, God tells Moses to raise up a staff and that God would part the waters. And then God does that. He parts the waters and they walk through it. But can you imagine, poor Moses, tell them to go forward. Here's this vast sea. Like, you t- hey, just God says, just start walking into the ocean. You know, what? It took a tremendous amount of faith for Moses to believe that God was going to do something because God was going to have to do something that he would never do before because God said, I will let them walk through in the midst of dry ground. And it tells us in that passage, Moses stretched out his hand. The Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind and he made the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground and the waters were a wall on the right hand and on the left. What's the point? God made a way when there was no way. God made a way when there was no way. He made a way in a sea in which they could have very easily drowned and should have drowned, and instead they walked through it on dry, stable ground. God made a pathway where there had never been a path made before. Can I ask you to just take into consideration, people don't normally make tunnels and walk right through seas. This had never even happened before. They had nothing even as a reference point to reflect back on. And not only to mention that, not only did God, is it amazing that God parted the sea like two walls of water and made a tunnel, but it says they walked through on dry ground. You know how mucky and, and, and they should have been stuck out there trying to get through. But God not only parted the waters, but he made the ground underneath them that should have been impossible to cross. God made it firm and stable in a way that they could just move quickly right through and get to the other side. There had never been a path like this made for anyone up to this point. 
Nothing like this had ever happened before. There were no paths presently circumstantially, and God was making a pathway, listen, that was extraordinary. It was a miraculous work of God. God was opening a way in a way that it was utterly evident to every single soul. That's totally God. And I don't doubt that he perhaps orchestrated all the circumstances purposely to just get it to a way where when it happened, everybody just had to go, that's totally God. That's totally God. It couldn't be anything other than God that ultimately would cause that to come to pass in front of them. Yet God still made a path so that they could pass through unharmed and victorious over the other side. In fact, verse 17 says that the Lord goes on to say that he also not only makes a path through the mighty waters, but he also brings the chariot and the horse, the army and the power, and they all lie down together and not rise. God says they are extinguished, they are quenched like a wick. Of course, that no doubt refers to as well how what did God do? He drew the Egyptian army in after Israel as they got out the other side, but he did it in such a way that there was just enough of a divine delay so they were far enough behind that when they got into the same thing God made a pathway, God needed to eliminate and remove them so that this would come to an end and the new season might begin. So God drew them in and God made enough of a time delay coordinating all the circumstances so that then when they got in there, God let the waters come back over them and what happened? In one fell swoop, God extinguished everything that was hassling them and he just, like a wick, just like quenching a wick, he just, like that quick. But the Lord can do that. The Lord can do that. All the Lord needs to do is just put forth his divine hand and instantly he can... That's what God did with their enemies. And here God is reminding them that he is a God and will always be a God who can make a way to help us move forward when there is no way that it seems that we can move forward. That he is a God who is able to create a path through impossible circumstances because with God nothing is impossible. So that's not in his vocabulary. He's a God who is able to deal with the enemies and things that hinder and harm us in a way that he can remove them from us so that we can move forward into what he intends. I love Genesis chapter 18 where God challenges Abraham saying to Abraham, remember, regarding the promise that he and Sarah were going to have a child in their late age. Again, nothing lined up circumstantially. Everything visually looked like that is not possible. At least at this point, and what does God say to Abraham? He says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? God asks us that sometimes. Oh, what? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Of course, the answer is a rhetorical question. No. For us, absolutely. You know? I have difficulty changing and dealing with the smallest things in my life. Everything seems to be a lot of times too hard for me. But there's nothing that's too hard for the Lord. And sometimes God has to probe our hearts and to remind us of that. And when we reflect on the things that God has done before, we need to remember we serve a God who can make a way when there is no way. That God can make a path and create a path where there's never been a path before. And you, that's never been done before. So what? Oh, it just, you don't under, it's impossible. To you it is. You know, God's never perplexed going, boy, I would love to do that, but I just didn't think through how that would work out. In your life anyway. You've stumped me. Come on. 
He's the eternal God. He knit you together in your mother's womb. All your days were ordained and written in his book before one ever came to be. You don't know what's on the next page and you don't know what's on the next chapter or three chapters ahead because we live life one page at a time. God knows it all. Quite honestly, God has editing rights. If he wants to go and rewrite the script three chapters ahead, that's his prerogative. <laughs> your prerogative is just to keep turning pages and say, Lord, okay, you're, if you can do it, then, then you do it because I don't know how it's going to happen. And that's so important for us to remember. There may be in your life, you're looking, hey, there's no options left. Look, God can still make a way. I just don't see how that could possibly, there's nowhere to turn. God can still make a path. It's just, there's just no way, time's run out, or time is running out, or it just wouldn't work out. There's there's no way it could possibly, God can make a way. God can make a path. It doesn't matter whether you can't see it or no one has ever experienced it before. Despite any situation, God's ability is never limited. God's resources, unlike ours, are never exhausted. Listen to what Jeremiah declared, Jeremiah 32:17. Jeremiah said, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. He reflected on God's creative ability and his power, and he says, Lord, if you could do that, you can create whatever's necessary in my life to make something come together in the way according to your plan. He says, there's nothing too hard for you. And the parting of the Red Sea and deliverance of the Egyptian, or uh, Israel out of the land of Egypt was a real picture of how God was getting them out of something that was very dangerous and difficult. He was delivering them out and getting them away from something that was going to harm and destroy them. And maybe this morning you're facing something and it's, it, it's, it's kind of threatening. And it looks like it's going to harm you. It's going to do you in. It's going to ruin you. Listen, can I remind you again of the words of Moses who said, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. And he went on to say, For the Lord will fight for you. It's not your battle. Let God deal with it. Let God orchestrate it. Now, lest we think the only time God moves us forward or miraculously does something is when we're in hot water and we're in a pinch. And like Israel that day, this is a reference to the deliverance through the Red Sea. And lest we think as we could, well, you know, I mean, I understand God works like that when it's a heated moment and it's threatening. And because he loves us, he intervenes and he... He opens a way to get us out of hot water. And we think that's the only time that God moves in that way. About 40 years later, God, if you remember, about 40 years later, historically, decided to repeat the same act of power among his people. But he just did it in a slightly different way. Joshua chapter 3. When they come to the Jordan River, which is the thing that's a barrier prohibiting them from getting across to the other side, which was the promised land. And Joshua chapter 3 records how the Jordan River at flood stage, God did the same thing, remember? Again, read Joshua 3. He again parts the waters and lets them walk through on dry ground and into the promised land that God intended. But that time, remember, that time Israel wasn't in trouble. They weren't in a pinch. There wasn't a problematic situation. There was nothing pressuring them. They weren't out of options. They weren't stuck in a difficult circumstance. Actually, what were they? They were on the border of a promised land, of something that God had for them ahead, which was better for their enjoyment and for their future. God was simply wanting to lead them into a place of his greater blessing. God had new things that he wanted to give them. It wasn't a matter of getting them out of a problem. God was trying to bring them into something when he wanted to prosper them and bless them all the more. 
It was a completely different reason for God doing a mighty work. He simply desired to bless their lives and expand their boundaries. And once again, God who doesn't change, nor does he show partiality to any person or to any generation, repeated his work once again. In Joshua 3, in a similar powerful way, which reminds us, by way of application, that yes, there are times when God will do a miraculous thing when we're in a pinch and we're under pressure and and God comes to our deliverance and, and saves us. But by the same token, sometimes God will make a way and open a path, listen, just to bring us forward into something that's a greater blessing for us. That he just wants to move us forward into something greater he wants to do in our lives. Lest we say, well, that was only once or a special occasion. There was no enemy behind them. God in Joshua chapter 3, what he was doing there when he did the miracle, was actually pulling them forward into something new he intended for them. For their benefit. God just wanted to bless them. He wanted to bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey and just do a great new thing in their lives. It wasn't getting them out of a problem. God said, no, I just want to bless you. I want to bring you into something new and therefore I'll move in a mighty way to do whatever it takes to get you forward into the new thing that I want to do in your life. And sometimes God opens a way or a path just to direct us into his greater blessing. Why? Because he's a generous father. He's a good God. In fact, Deuteronomy 28 tells us that God giving them a promise regarding the new land said to them, the Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all which you set your hand to. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. In other words, God's saying, look, I'm not getting you out of problem. I'm just drawing you forward into a new thing. Behold, I'm going to do a new thing and, because I want to bless you. So I need to bring you forward into the new blessing and the thing that I have intended for your life. Well, God, having reminded them of what he performed, he then in verse 18 begins to speak to them about what he has planned ahead. He says to them, do not remember the former things nor consider the things of old. Behold, God says, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, and shall you not know it? Or the idea is, don't you sense or perceive it, what's happening? And I will make even a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So once God has them firmly focused on his person and his power and what he's able to do, their hearts are now prepared to receive insight from the Lord regarding a thing that he has planned ahead of them. And again, historically, knowing that after that 70 years of captivity, that God was then going to deliver them after that difficult season and restore them back to where they originally were, God says to them, listen, therefore, don't remember the former things. You need to get your mind off of the former things. And he says, don't consider the things of old. Again, God knowing that perhaps what would happen, like us, their past sins or their prior failures, or the things that they themselves had made mistakes and they knew were mistakes, if they weren't careful and they thought about the former things too much and dwelled on, they might start to get in the paralysis of analysis and become crippled in their condemnation in such a way where they're kind of just struggling and feeling like, oh, it couldn't possibly go forward now. And like us, maybe they would wrestle with their own discouragements of their past mistakes and believe it's just impossible for something new to happen now. Or maybe they would just become too comfortable as many did in a life in Babylon and therefore they wouldn't want to experience change and they wouldn't want to start something new. So what does God do in verse 18? God exhorts them not to dwell on the past. God says, listen, that season is over. That season is over and it's time to forget the former things. The reason, God says, for behold, I will do a new thing. And he says, it's going to spring forth. 
I'm going to do a new thing. The Lord intended on doing something new in their lives. It was now time for them to move on from where they had been before and to move forward into the new thing that God was doing for them. The reason is a brand new season was about to begin for them. It was time to move out of Babylon where they had been and were struggling and were straining under the weight of that time in that season. And they now were to move forward into Israel to build a new life. And God was going to begin to cause an event, an opportunity to sprout forth, and they should be ready, God says, to perceive it. God says, do you sense it? Don't you realize what I'm doing? Can't you see? And notice, it was not their idea. It was God's idea. Notice very closely in the text, it says that God declared, I will do a new thing. It's not you just coming up with a new idea. God says, this is... I'm initiating this. I'm causing it. I'm creating it. And God says, I will do a new thing. It's my intention. I'll be responsible for it. I planned it. And he just wanted them to recognize and respond and walk forward in it. And hearing of this new thing God had ahead of them, please understand, they would have been, the Jews in that day, very apprehensive. And there would have been certain fears and concerns in their logical mind as they reason through it. There'd be questions and excuses. They would begin to think as they hear God speaking of this new thing and this exodus of taking them out. They would begin to think, well, how is all that going to work out? How, how in the world is all that going to work out? And they would be thinking in their rational minds, you know, it is hundreds of miles, hundreds of miles from Babylon back to Jerusalem. And it wasn't in a day where they had you know, jets and, and, and automobiles. It was difficult travel in that day. How's that going to happen? The distance seems so far and the path is going to be difficult. It's rugged terrain. And, and, and how's that going to... It's going to be almost extremely, you know, seemingly impossible to do that. And God knew that they would think that way. So what does God say to them? Well, look what he says to them in verse 19. He says, I understand. But he says, I will even make a road in the wilderness. And if need be, he says, I'll make rivers in the desert. Again, God is saying to them, I'll carve out the way in front of you. I know it looks impossible. It is impossible humanly. But he says, I'm not limited. I'll carve out the path in front of you. I'll make a path and I'll create a way to help you find your way forward into this. And I will provide, God says, whatever it takes. I will provide whatever it takes to supply and to sustain you and to get you moving in the direction of what I'm doing. Because I'm the one doing it, God says. I'm going to do a new thing, and therefore, if i got to make a river in the desert, I'll make a river in the desert then, God says. If I need to make a road in the wilderness where there's no road, God says, I'll just make a road right in the middle of the wilderness. And God's reassuring them of what he would do on their behalf. And as we look at this situation, it applies to us also because this indeed is still the heart of God. The heart of God is always still in our lives that we would be always looking ahead. Satan constantly tries to keep us looking in our rearview mirror, reflecting on the past, and God is always trying to get us to look ahead as to what is coming ahead of us. And I believe often the Lord is saying to us many times the same thing that he is saying to Israel in that day historically. Many times God is saying to us, listen, don't remember the former things. Stop remembering all the former things. Stop considering the things of old. Many times we struggle with past mistakes and failures and we're crippled under our past mistakes and failures. And God says, stop remembering that. Forget about it. 
Yes, you failed. Okay. Yes, you've made mistakes. But stop reminiscing and rem just don't remember them anymore. Put them out of your mind. Let go of them, God's saying. Struggling sometimes, maybe something happens to us. Things happen to us in our lives. Sometimes painful things. Sincerely traumatic, painful things. But then what happens? I was talking to just someone recently who experienced something very painful. But, but the, the more painful thing today is that they can't get beyond it. They don't want to get beyond it. They just want to reminisce and repick the scab again and again. And, and they're paralyzing themselves in the past pain when God has a very wonderful future that's in front of them if they would be able to just say, yes, this happened. And it was wrong. And it hurt and it still hurts. However, God's a God who heals. He's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. And this personal experience they had, which was a tragedy in their childhood, is something that was still causing a difficulty. Sometimes God says, don't remember the former things because we can even tend to idolize the past. It doesn't always have to be something bad. We can on occasion idolize some previous good season where we're always talking about the good old days. Oh, do you remember what it was like? And all our stories about all the good old days, what God used to do or what God was doing or what God did do. Well, what's God doing today? Philippians 3, Paul says to us, this one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. And Paul says, let those who are mature share in the same mindset. In other words, it's a mark of maturity to at times in our lives stop focusing on the past so that we can embrace and freely move forward into the thing that God has in the present and the future right in front of us. Paul says, this one thing, I, oh, you don't understand, you don't, I just can't. No, Paul says, this is something I do. Something I do. With God's help, of course. But Paul said, it's me. I'm the one who chooses to do this so I can experience what God has ahead of me today and in tomorrow. And for all of our lives, sometimes we need to realize a mark of maturity is being able to move on and to embrace and pursue what's ahead. It's a part of the process of what God does. And in the same way God parted waters and made a way when there was no way, God can do whatever it takes to help you to do that as well to move you forward into what he has intended. And the reason why that's important is it connects, as I said, forgetting the past with verse 19 because God says, behold, I want to do a new thing. I want to do a new thing, God says. That's why you can't remember the past because I want to do a new thing. Oftentimes, I said, God wants to do new things in our lives. I said at the beginning of the study. And change is something that God causes for our good. God himself will never change, but sometimes he prescribes and permits and coordinates life events and circumstances in a way to bring about new things. And many times the way that change comes is God starts new things. The Lord says, I will do a new thing and it shall spring forth. Sometimes the ideas that we're sensing in our mind, why am I having this idea? Because God wants to do a new thing. I don't know why I keep having this idea. Because God wants to do a new thing. I don't know why situations, and it seems the circumstances and all these things are coming together. I wonder what, because God's wanting to do a new thing. And that's why God's allowing the circumstances, that, because maybe God's wanting to do a new thing. That's why he says, don't you perceive it? Don't you sense it? He says, shall you not know it? He says, don't you recognize what's taking place? And it's always a good and a healthy purpose. Jeremiah tells us in chapter 29, verse 11, God says, I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Listen, the reason I share this this morning, perhaps the Lord is saying to you this morning, behold, I will do a new thing. 
I want to do a new thing. And for some of you, maybe that's just a word from the Lord of hope today to still hold on to the faith in the God that you serve to realize that despite how long you've been in that situation, God can still bring a change. It's not hopeless. God still can turn the corner and bring a change. Don't lose hope in the fact of what God is able to do. Maybe God has a new thing around the corner. And maybe in your life things are okay. I don't know, maybe everything's wonderful this morning. And, and there, but maybe, however, even though things are wonderful, very comfortable and fantastic, maybe God's beginning to stir in your life because he's wanting to do a new thing. And so he's stirring in a way because God wants to do a new thing in your life. Maybe it's a new season or some new opportunity or some new venture, some new work he has planned. Maybe it's just a new attitude. Maybe it's a new marriage relationship where you actually can look your spouse in the eyes and say, I'm sorry for the way that I acted. Instead of just acting like a petty child when you have a disagreement and just never dealing with the situation. And God says, I want to do a new thing. I want to make you different. I want a new attitude. I want to do some new work in your life. I have some new opportunity. And if we're always stuck in the past or we're overly attached to the present, here's what happens. Sometimes we become paralyzed in a position in life that God does not intend to be permanent. That God would have us move on from and we never embrace it. And God says, I'm going to make it spring forth. I'm initiating it, God says. I'm going to bring it to pass. And listen, if God's planned something, he'll perform it. And if God is planting something, he'll do whatever it takes to produce it. Isaiah 43, verse 13, the Lord says, I will work and who will reverse it? Maybe you see in your life, it's springing forth, beginning to bud. That's why the Lord asks here in verse 19, he says, shall you not know it? Some translations there say, do you not see it? In other words, God's saying, Don't, can't, you, I know you can see it. I know you can sense it and see it. What's the important thing? That we sense and see it so that we can be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and we can stay in step with what God's doing. Paul says, listen, if you live in the Spirit, then walk in the Spirit. In other words, stay in step with God. Stay in step with God's cadence. And whatever direction God's going, stay in step with what God's doing. Stay sensitive to that and trust the Lord. Now, they certainly, just like us, would hear that and worry, and we do the same thing. Oh, man, a new thing. A new thing? I don't know about new things. Well, what about and what if and how? And we do all the same stuff, right? And that's why God says, don't worry. Listen, Tony, if I've got to make a road in the wilderness, I'll do it. If I've got to make a river right in the middle of the desert to make it happen, that's just what I'll do because I'm doing this. I'm doing this. Now, Psalm 37 tells us this. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. All God says is I'm asking one thing from you. Commit and trust me. I'll bring it to pass. You commit and trust me. And you know where that starts with? Ezekiel 36 indicates that sometimes God doing a new thing begins with God doing a new work in our heart first. Ezekiel 36 says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take away the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. God says, if I'm going to do this new thing, the first place I need to start is doing surgery, a little heart surgery. You need a new heart. You need a new heart. I'm going to take away this heart of stone that's fixed and firm, and, and God says, I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. 
that's tender. Why? Because then he can write his will on the fleshly tablet of our hearts. Father, we thank you for this time to open your word and to let it speak into our lives. And God, we pray that you would meet us where we're at this morning and that we could even respond to you. Lord, if need be, even in this last song as we respond to you in worship, would you just change our heart right now this morning, Lord, miraculously. Take away our heart of stone. Give us a new heart, a heart of flesh that's tender and alive to the things of God. And I pray, Father, too, for anyone here who's never made a commitment even to embrace Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of their life to surrender, that this day you would give them that desire. And the Bible says if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away and all things become new. I'm going to pray a prayer right now. And if you sincerely want a new heart and Jesus to forgive your sins and to save you and to give you the hope of eternal life, you be sincere. God will see your faith. And just tell God this this morning in your own words. Say, God, I'm sorry for all of my sin against you. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. Jesus, save me this morning. Fill me with your spirit. Take control of my life. I embrace you as the Lord of my life. Help me to follow you. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.